Hello there. I was lost. I was looking for the narthex. Do we have a narthex? I don't know. I just I seem to remember that word from the 40s. If you find the narthex, we got a scoop. We have a hallway. I don't know about a narthex. Good morning. Today is the last day of spring break. All the moms are going, yes. And all the kids are going, oh, no. How many of you had a good spring break? Four people? How many went to the beach for spring break? Nice, nice. How many wish they'd gone to the beach for spring break? It's miserable weather at the beach. We are thinking about going to the beach. It just rained and it was cold. So we did a couple of other things at the beach. We didn't go to the beach. We stayed here. Uh, one thing we did, we went to see the God's Not Dead movie. Have you seen it? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I went uh, with hesitation because I'm always concerned about movies that try to make a spiritual impact, but it was really well done. I'd highly recommend that you see it, and uh, if you have friends that are atheists, you should challenge them to go see it. It's a cool, well-done uh, movie. How many seen Noah? Anybody seen Noah yet? Again, I, I, I've heard both sides of it. But I think as followers of Christ, it's important that we engage the culture and even to know what you didn't like about the movie. And it was made by a complete atheist, pagan guy, but he told the story true. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to see it. And, uh, you know, if you don't like the movie, you can always enjoy the book. That's my, my, my point. <laughs> We're in the middle of a series about money. Money, 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 money. Hey, Aaron, how you doing? Speaking of money, Aaron got a job last week. Way to go. You've got to love that. He's going to have money, money, money. And the point of money is this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You know, I've been to a bunch of funerals this last year. I've, I've never yet seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> you can't take it with you, but you can send money on ahead. And so today, we're going to talk about money. Now, why is money uh, important? It's important because uh, life is like the game of Monopoly. You know, we spent two days ba- babysitting grandkids and we taught the older ones to play Monopoly. Have you played Monopoly? It's a really boring game com- compared to all this. But, but they actually sat down and they could talk and have engagement, engaging conversations. They had to negotiate with each other. We played for probably a total of four hours, Monday and Tuesday, while it rained. And at the end of the game, when it came time for them to go home, and that's the best thing about grandkids, they go home. We took all of the money, all of the hotels, all of the properties, all of the board game, and we put it back in a box and on the shelf. And that's kind of like life, you know. God gives us monopoly money and properties and talents and time, and then at the end of our life, we, we give it all back. It goes back in the box. It's important to understand the, the most certain statistic is this, 100% of all of us will die, and none of us will take any money with us to heaven. And yet money in the Scripture is a very, very important subject. It occurs over and over again. And I think this is the reason. Jesus says in Luke 16, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous money, wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? We want to be entrusted by God as individuals and as a church family with the true riches, with things that are eternal. But we don't get that unless our handling of our money reflects faithfulness. And we've been in the middle of this series now for a couple of weeks. The first thing we learned about money is that God has a part to play 
in the handling of our money. Number one, he owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. God owns everything. And if you have not come to that point with God in your relationship where you say, okay, God, I realize everything I have is from you, my time and my talents and my treasure, they're all yours, then you will struggle. And you will be like I was for years. I tried to own things. I mean, you don't even own you. You don't own your kids. You don't own your time. You don't own your car. You don't own your house. It's God's. He lends it to you. And therefore, our job as handlers of money is to be good stewards. Last week, we saw the parable of the talents. And the focus of the parable is 1 Corinthians 4. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, that's us, that one be found trustworthy. And if you say you're trustworthy with your money, I can look at your calendar and I can look at your checkbook and I can say yes or no. I can see there's objective outward evidence of how you handle your money. Do you know that the Bible mentions money and possessions more than any other subject? There are about 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. Prayer is very important. There are fewer than 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith. Faith is the way to God. But there are over 2,350 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Why is that? I think, number one, it is a reflection of our relationship with God as to how we're handling our money. And I think, number two, as a practical matter, God lovingly knew how much time we would spend every week earning money and saving money and spending money. Think about it. You'll be here next Sunday if God is willing, and you have 168 hours to spend between now and then. How many of those 168 hours do you spend earning money and saving money and spending money? It is a primary focus of our world, especially in the Western world where we are a consumer society. And so God looks at our checkbook and God looks at our calendar and it's a reflection of what's in our heart. And God wants to find us trustworthy stewards. You know, the parable of the talents was cool because... In the parable, the landowner went away and he gave one man five talents and another man uh, two talents and and the third man one talent. And when he came back from his journey, he investigated the first two men and 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 they'd invested and they doubled their money. And the landowner said, well done, good and faithful steward. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm here to tell you, after all these years of walking with Jesus, there is joy in handling money correctly and that was not always the case in our lives so that's God's role that's our role today we want to focus in on leaving a legacy with our money and our possessions a legacy is something received from an ancestor or from the past what do you want to leave behind for your children and your grandchildren when it comes to your money and your talent and your personhood what do you want them to get from you what do you want to leave behind I had a buddy that went to Graceland one time Elvis's residence And I said, what was it like? He said, well, Elvis was a man who had everything and he left it all behind. And you're going to leave all your things behind. What do you want to leave behind in terms of your legacy with your family? A lot of that will be a reflection of how you handle money. So our focus on today is going to be leaving a legacy. You know, this is an old statement, but I love it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And God calls us as followers of Jesus to invest our lives in things that are eternal. Money is not eternal, but people are eternal. God's word is eternal. The scriptures are eternal. And so we want to make sure we're investing correctly so as to leave a legacy to our family. 
Today we're going to talk about saving. What does the Bible teach about saving and investing? And so I brought my notes, and uh, we're going to be here a while. Uh, that's, that's part one, and this is part, part two. We'll get to those later. How are you doing in this area, in saving and investing? You know, Brian pointed out last week that according to studies, 70% of American families live from paycheck to paycheck. They don't have any significant savings to draw on. And you know, 70% of American families would have a difficult time getting through a, a financial crisis. If you had a $5,000 bill show up in your lap today, the car breaks, somebody needs surgery, kid breaks something, a meteor crashes through your roof, the flood happens. Are you ready for that? And one of the things I love about financial peace is he's got these baby steps. The first baby step is you need to have an emergency fund of at least $1,000. I'd say two, frankly. And that only happens by saving. First of all, when it comes to saving, we need to understand it's a long-term thing. The book of Proverbs says, steady plotting brings what? Read that. Prosperity. Hasty speculations brings what? Poverty. Steady plotting brings prosperity. It takes time to save. If your savings plan revolves around winning the lottery, that's not biblical. It's probably not very valid either. Again, you have a better chance of a meteor breaking your roof than winning the lottery. You know, if you're going to play the Florida State Lottery, just take the $5 and give it to a teacher. I got an amen from the teachers. It's supposed to go to education anyway. You ain't winning the lottery. It takes time to set aside money, and the first thing you do in setting aside savings plan is remember it's going to be we're going to be at this a while. Gwen and I got married in 1971. We met 43 years ago this week. Can you imagine? Wow. And she still has those great legs. But we were in financial distress for the first several years we were married. You know, we got married in college, which they tell you not to do is the best thing I ever did. And we, uh, you know, we, we got through our, our last year of college, but we went to an Ivy League school. It was very expensive. We both had big student loans. And then we went to graduate school. I was going to be there, it turned out, four years. And about halfway through, after two years, she was working full-time, and I was working part-time, and we were broke. And so we went to see a financial counselor, and we said, we're broke. He said, tell me about your budget. I said, well, our budget is simple. We put the paychecks into the checking account, and we write checks until the money's gone. He said, how's that working for you? I said, well, you know, sometimes I run out of money before I run out of checks. You, you, what do you mean I'm broke? I got six checks left. There was always too much month left at the end of the money. And so he suggested some things that, have, that literally changed our lives. They later became adopted by Larry Burkett, Crown Ministries, and now Dave Ramsey in the Christian community. I'll tell you this. If you're not a Christ follower and you will follow these principles with your money, I guarantee you'll have good success with your money. If you don't believe that Jesus loves you, do what I'm about to tell you with your money and try it for six months, and I'll bet you'll know that Jesus loves you at the end of six months. I'll lay that out there for you. It's a good gamble. Don't gamble. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. The Bible says this about teaching, about saving and investing. First, it's wise to save and foolish not to. 
it is just wise to save. You know the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs in chapter 21 and 20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil. But fools gulp down theirs. I think it's great. We live in the big gulp society. Does your bill pile gulp down your money? I love the word gulp. I did a study on it this week. It's the word Balaam. It comes from the false god Baal, where it, he gulps down your spirit if you let him. But you know, it's used of the fish that gulped down Jonah. It's used of the serpent of Moses that gulped down the serpent of Pharaoh. It's used where the earth opens up twice and swallows up people because of God's anger. And again, we were there. And we needed to learn to start saving. And so you, you have to start saving somewhere. And you have to realize we're in this for the long haul. Because if you don't do that, your household is in trouble. Do you know that half the marriages end in divorce, but 60% of the divorces are because of money? So if you're having marital discord, the odds are that money is a big part of that. And you know, God has his great sense of humor where opposites attract. You know, I've told you in my marriage we have a perfectionist married to a slob. And that's because God just goes, <laughs> here's what you need and here's what you need. The perfectionist needs to loosen up and the slob needs to be more disciplined. That's why I have Gwen. But it came to money. We fought like cats and dogs because she was very disciplined and I was a spender. I was an impulse buyer. And the whole media world is designed to get you to feel dis concerted with what you have. What you have isn't good enough. If you get this new whatever, you'll feel better. You need the iPhone 5S. No, you really, you really need the new Samsung Galaxy that has the new hippy-dippy camera in there. No, you really need the new car, and, and you really need, if you can't afford the new car, to put it on a credit card, because if you put it on the credit card, you'll have something you don't need bought with money you don't have, and that will impress people you don't know. Money. It's wise to store up food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Are your bills gulping down your finances? They can. Second, saving helps your family. If you want to avoid some marital discord, make sure you sit down as a couple and have time to discuss your financial goals. And again, we just took our paychecks, we dumped them into the account, and that was the end of it. But the thing I love about financial peace is it it says, okay, start with the emergency fund, and then step three is start saving so that you have three to six months' salary available to you. You know, there could be another real estate or stock market collapse in our future. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. But I do know this, that if you have that set aside, you can go, okay, we'll make it. And if you don't have it set aside, you go, The Bible teaches this. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for who? His children's children. I love this verse. I'm not leaving squat to my kids. <laughs> the grandbabies get it all. Of course I'm leaving to my kids. It's a good thing to do. But if you don't have a savings and an investing plan, you won't have the ability to be obedient in this part of Scripture. Now, we're to take care of our parents financially. That's what honor your father and mother means. But I'm also to try to provide for them and, and to my children's children. So saving and investing is a very, very important uh, issue in the Scriptures. We also have uh, another passage that says this, that savings 
are important for the family if they're in trouble. 1 Timothy 5, Paul is writing to the pastor and he's talking about uh, people and their families. He says, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So listen, if you have somebody in your home, and we've had kids in this situation, whether they were in school or whether they were laid off from their job, and we've been through that as many of you have. We had kids with health issues. We have grandkids with learning and disabilities. You know, it's okay to say, okay, some of the money that I normally would give away to charity, I'm going to direct to my family. It's okay to help your family with some of your giving money. I think God honors that. In fact, I have never met a man who made a financial decision in favor of his family that God was not able to bless. I've had men say to me, you know, I have a a job offer, but it involves more hours away from my family. I'm not going to take the job. And over and over and over, I've seen God say, okay, I'll give you the more money because you've given more, more hours to your kids. Now, sometimes you need to take the job. It's okay. But it's okay to take some of the money you're going to give away and give it within your family. Now, again, if the same brother-in-law shows up broke three times in a row and he's wasted your money, you know, if he went out and bought a new flat-screen TV for his man cave with a kegerator and he's using your money to do that, I wouldn't lend him money again or give him money again. That's the other thing. If it's family, just give him the money. Because if, you, if you're, if you're going to lend him the money and you don't get it back, then you'll be mad it screws up the family. That's just Ed 101. That's not a Bible verse. But if you don't care for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. So the Bible says, hey, it's okay to, to take care of our family. We save for that. And we also, if we want to save, need a budget. <clears throat> That's why I brought my budget books. You can guess who puts these together. Not me. But for the last almost 40 years, my wife sits down with me at the beginning of every month, and in this book, and you're welcome to come up here and look. We have no secrets here. These are all the bills that we get. There's our Discover bill. Now, I'm not a big believer in credit cards, but there are some things you can only do with a credit card. Buy airline tickets is one. You know, sometimes when you travel, you just need a credit card. By the way, I'll talk about credit cards. If you don't have a credit card that you have to pay off every month, you don't need that credit card. You know, for over 40 years, we have paid off every credit card bill at the end of the month. If you're carrying a balance, they're charging you 18% on that money, and sometimes more. Oh, but I'm getting points. No, the points are stupid. How, how much do you get for the points? It's like one-tenth of one-tenth of one penny per dollar. So if you have to use a credit card, use one that you pay off every month. We had an American Express card for 30 years because they made you pay it off every month. Okay. If you can't do that, you need to do plastic surgery on that card. Insurance bill. We got insurance. Uh, DirecTV, you don't need cable, but after 40 years, I can afford cable. You know, uh, bank statement, uh, internet, you know, you don't need Wi-Fi. You can go out and, 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 and sit in a free Wi-Fi spot. Uh, lawn spray, uh, phone bill, we got them all here. And I've got a book like this for almost every year we've been married. Now, after seven years, we throw it away. But I've got a whole row of those. And, and Gwen's good enough. She keeps a, a folder with every receipt. And every month, then she goes to her budget book. And in the budget book, she's got a page of about, oh, 25 line items. The first bunch of items are our giving items. 
We give to TVA. We give to different mission organizations. We try to give to people instead of programs. That's just us. There's nothing wrong with the programs. But we take the first bit of, we, of what we save and we give it to God's work. I think God honors that. God wants to bless all of your money, so we give him the first back. And then the second bunch of money that we save, we save with our stuff. And the key from getting from baby step one to baby step three is staying out of debt. Because if you owe money, you're a slave to the person that you owe money to. You know, don't have a car payment. If you have a car payment, you will pay interest on a, on a depreciating asset. If you buy a new car, and if you're in the car business, I'm sorry, but if you drive the car off the lot, it's less valuable than two seconds before you bought it. So don't, it's okay to buy a new car, but don't buy a new car on credit. You know, for 35 years, I've not had a car payment. Now, here, I'll tell you this. I have never, I'm 63, I have never once owned the car that I wanted. It's okay. I want a BMW convertible. That's what I want. But I drive a 2007 Envoy that's paid for. And you know what's cool? My kids have learned that. All four of my children do not have car payments. You don't need a car payment. If you need a car, get a car that you can afford to pay cash for. Drive it for long enough to save up money for the next better, better car. We bought Gwen a new van last year. I've shared this in a sermon before. It was so cool. We, we wrote a check and paid for the new van in cash and drove it off the lot, and it was worth less than when we first bought it, but we didn't owe any money or interest on it. So there are things that will get you to your goals if you have a budget. And on that budget, first line item has to be what I'm giving to God, and second line item has to be what I'm, what, <clears throat> sorry, what I'm, what I'm saving for me. Now, Proverbs 27 says, Know the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. You know, it's easier to have a budget if you're a farmer, a shepherd. He can tell if he's got three sick sheep. But if everything's done by paper and over the Internet, it's hard to tell how you're doing financially. So every month you need to sit down and go over the condition of your finances. And if you've never done this, this will drive you nuts for a bit. But a budget is simply telling our money what to do instead of wondering where our money went. I don't want you to get to the end of the month and be out of money. So you've got to be intentional about this. You know, there's, uh, if you've never learned the envelope method, we use the envelope method for about 30 years. Use the envelope method. There, if you like to do it on your cell phone, there's an app called Good Budget. And go get Good Budget, and it's the envelope method on your iPhone. And it'll, what it does, it'll divide up your budget into sections. So that my wife has money to play with called her fun money. And she likes to go to Walmart and Target, all the high-end stores. And she buys stuff. But she buys stuff for the grandbabies and for the Club 3, 4, 5 kids. She loves to spend money on people. And so when, when that part of the budget is spent, she just doesn't spend anymore until the next month rolls around. And so, you know, again, these are just some practical things that, that have worked for us. Know the condition of your finances. Next, don't save to get rich. You know, Paul says to Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's all right to get rich, but if that's your goal, you're screwed up. 
I mean, I'm rich by the standards of most people. I'm certainly rich compared to everybody who's alive on the planet right now because after 40 years of saving and saving and investing and investing, you know, I can cover any emergency that we've got. But I don't want to be rich and leave it all behind. I want to be rich and direct it to people, my family. And by the way, if you are rich, and that's great, make sure that you give your kids an inheritance, but not so big of an inheritance that they don't have to work. You're not doing them any favor. See, our kids need to learn to work from us. One of the best things you can teach your child is how to work hard, how to be a person of integrity. And it's hard in our culture because we used to all have summer jobs. Did you have a summer job? You know, I had a paper route for three years. I had all my own spending money from the time I was 14 years old. My parents never gave me any money. It was good for me. It's hard now to find summer jobs because of all the labor laws and the government interference, okay? But you can mow lawns and you can babysit and you can do stuff to teach your kids, hey, the value of work is, is a big deal. All my kids are hard workers. That may be the best thing I've ever uh, seen from any of them. And they know how to be good givers because once they earned their money, we took portions of their money and we divided up into three places. Earn, we saving money, giving money, and spending money. And that was a cool thing to do with our kids. But getting rich was not about the deal. Getting rich was... In God's opinion, not the, not the best thing. You remember the parable Brian mentioned last week of the guy that built the big barns and he tore down his old barns and he built new barns and he stood back and said, oh, I got great barns full of stuff. And God said, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. Tonight your soul could be required of you and everything you've earned is going to be left behind. But if you've invested in people, if you've invested in ministry, then you have a legacy. The Bible says it's wise to save. It helps our families when we save. It requires a budget if we're going to save, and ultimately it yields eternal results. See, that's the best thing about saving. We can not only save, but we can invest in people for eternity. We got to do this this last week, uh, the Friday night that spring uh, break started. Johnny Diaz came to Florida. Have you ever heard of Johnny Diaz? Well, Johnny Diaz was in Newport Ritchie. Ever been to Newport Ritchie? Newport Ritchie is a miserable place. You can't get there from here because you've got to get on the worst highway in America, US 19. Have you ever been on 19? Never go on Highway 19 and never go on a Friday night. But we did. You know why? Not because we wanted to see Johnny. I've seen Johnny. I can FaceTime him. But my wife invests in people every Wednesday she goes to a tutoring program in Juanita Elementary. I think Highland City's bad. Juanita is the crime capital of Polk County. Don't go there on a Friday night. You won't come back healthy. And there are these two teenage females who have nothing, but they invest one afternoon a week with these first graders teaching them how to read. And they have stolen my wife's heart. So she said, we're going to Newport Ritchie on Friday to see Johnny. Oh, why don't you go? No, I'm not driving on 19 by myself. So we take the girls, and we took some money. And along the way, we stopped and ate. It was neat to go into the restaurant. We took them to a real fancy restaurant called Chick-fil-A. But, you know, I got to say to them what no one ever says to them, you can get whatever you want. Really? Then we went to the concert, and Johnny did his deal, and afterward we went behind the stage, and we bought them T-shirts, and we bought them CDs, and we had Johnny sign them. And they were just, oh. 
And then Johnny says, you want to come on, come on the bus? And they have, Johnny has this really cool tour bus because he's touring with Aaron Schust and Mike's chair and some hippie girl that I don't know. <laughs> and they had a tour bus that was bigger than this stage. It, it had 12, 12 beds on it. And they got on the bus and they were just, oh! And there sat Aaron Schust in the kitchen on the Internet watching the flat screen. And they're like, oh. Aaron said, you want to see the whole bus? And Aaron took them on a tour of the bus. And they got out and they took pictures and they posted the pictures on on Facebook. And then when we got out of the, seeing Johnny, we left because we really don't care what the other people sound like. And (laughs) headed home down US 19. And on the way home for two solid hours, these teenage girls did not shut up once. (laughs) I had boys, you know. Boys just throw them in the back and they'd grunt and snort once in a while. We never stopped. I have to go to the potty. Forget it. But the girls need to go to the potty. We're stopping. See, we took some of what God had blessed us with and we were able to bless them. That was so fun. I came to Christ, some of you know this, because people used to take me uh, on the weekends to the University of Miami and, and a guy by the name of Charlie Badcock who was very wealthy, he was a builder down there, he had a 64-foot yacht and he used to let college kids sleep on his yacht. And while we spent hour after hour on his yacht, the guys from Florida told me about Jesus. See, he'd invested in the yacht, but the yacht didn't own him and he gave it away whenever he could. So guys, if you want a yacht... As long as you're using it for eternal purposes, that's okay. <laughs> Investing, saving has eternal results. We don't save and invest to get rich. We save and invest so we can give it away to people who are eternal in the eyes of Almighty God. And the promise is great. Timothy 6 says, Instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know, what is life indeed? Life indeed is a life that's invested for eternity in people. It's not about things. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Jesus leaves us a legacy. You know, a legacy is what we get from our ancestors and our Older brother in the faith, Jesus, gives us this legacy. I just found this this week. It just blew me away. You know, his legacy is peace. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, I don't know what the world is going to happen in the next, what's going to happen in the world in the next week. We still hadn't found the airliner that's down. Putin is still in Crimea and about to invade the Ukraine. The economy could explode at any minute. We've got health problems. We've got job issues. We've got family crises. We've got kids in trouble. And my tendency, if I try to control all that, is to say, oh, 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 oh. And Jesus says, I want you to have peace. And part of having peace is knowing that when I go to sleep at night, I've handled my finances the way Jesus wants me to handle them. I live in peace. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And part of my legacy as a follower of Christ is I have peace. It's continued in the book of Romans by Paul. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the legacy of Jesus. 
And then he gives us a promise, and I love the promises. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you at peace today? If you knew that this is your last day on the planet, are you at peace with that? Have you invested your possessions and your talents and your time in the lives of people who are eternal? Are you handling your stuff the way God wants you to handle your stuff? There's peace in that. And the world is, I don't understand that. You're right, the world doesn't understand that. It's beyond comprehension. Last verse. And my God shall supply all your what? Needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I've lived on that verse since I came to know Jesus in 1970, 69. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a child of his, he's going to provide your needs. Now, it doesn't say, my God shall supply all your wants. I'll never get the BMW. I'm, I'm pretty much okay with that. But you know, you can claim this. God will feed you. You might eat ramen noodles while you're trying to save some money. That's okay. God will feed your kids. He's not going to let them starve. God will put a roof over your head. God will give you clothes for your back. Now, you may not live in a really plush community, and you may have to go to Goodwill to get clothes. That's okay. But God promises to supply your needs, and your needs are your food and your clothing and your shelter. And there's great peace in that. And so as we close, I'd like you to concentrate on that promise. What do you need today? We need peace. We need peace in a world that is not offering peace. The world offers frustration. The frustration is if you don't have this new item, you're not happy. And Jesus says, no, peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Father, we love you because you have sent your son, the Prince of Peace, to be our sin offering on the cross. If you're here today and you don't know the Prince of Peace, you will not know peace until you know him. But Father, those of us who claim Jesus as ours, I pray that we would be found faithful as stewards, investing our time and our talent and our treasures in people that are eternal, saving so that we can leave behind a legacy a life well invested, a life well spent for you and in the things that you are concerned with. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We pray in the name of the awesome Prince of Peace. Amen.